from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the news episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today, it's here. It is our season four finale, and we've got an amazing guest that will definitely give you some food for thought throughout this upcoming holiday weekend, I guess. Uh, but first, if you want to support us, please do us a favor. If you're on YouTube, you see that little heart button with the dollar sign, give us a super thanks. Every dollar you donate to this show allows us to do more and more and more. But if you don't want to give money through big tech, don't worry, don't worry. We got your back as well, too. And you can get the freshest coffee known on Earth at deadhousecoffee.com. Just make sure you use the code SHARK. You'll get 20% off. We get all the proceeds and keep building this show. Now, let's get back to today's show. Now, let's talk about today's episode. We're going to be talking about business. It, this was probably one of my favorite interviews as date as we've had all topics on the tables from unions to law to business regulation and even just the Libertarian Party as a whole. It's an excellent interview with an all-star guest uh, to wrap up our fourth season of shark by biz remember season five will launch in a few weeks and we're also doing shark bite biz live a live stream show with odata pine on july 25th i think it's 6 p.m eastern 3 p.m pacific make sure you tune in for that so anyways who do we have today none other than angela mcardle angela mcardle currently chairs the national libertarian party and the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County. Angela is a member of the Mises Casas, a two-time congressional candidate for California's 34th District, and has worked in litigation for over 10 years, with a major focus on property rights and constitutional law. So hey, without delay, let's bring Angela right on in here. Business strategy. Freshly off her appearance on Tidcast IRL. Angela, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> oh, no, it's such a pleasure. And apologize, we've been having some technical difficulties as sometimes happen when you try to use something as simple as Zoom. So I appreciate your, your patience with me getting this up and going. But... We have a tradition on this show. So for the third time, will you please tell me, what do you do for a living? You know, how'd you get there? Basically, tell us in a nutshell, what makes Angela, Angela? Sure thing. So right now I am the chair of the Libertarian National Committee, more commonly known as the National Libertarian Party. Uh, but, but prior to that, I, I did litigation. I worked in litigation for about 13 years. And I am still, you know, like really passionate about it. As weird as that sounds, I love lawsuits, <laughs> especially in the area of uh, real property, so mm -hmm. real estate lawsuits. Uh, and uh, sometimes that bleeds over into constitutional law a little bit when you're having to deal with government and regulations and things that impact property owners. Eminent domain. You're, are you talking about things like that? You know what? That, that is one thing. And again, you know, our, our viewers know this is not a 
political show, but we do talk about regulation that affects businesses and stuff like that. You know, for politics, you go on in a place like you just were, uh, Tim Cass. But eminent domain is one of those things that went to the Supreme Court that really just blows my mind that they basically made it legal. Like, I, I can't believe that that was kind of at least to the degree that they did that. Do you do a lot of eminent domain lawsuits or have you in the past? Not a lot, but a few. I've done some of that. I've done uh, one of the things that I deal with a lot is people who want to rent out their properties. And there are local zoning laws and ordinances that make it difficult. Um, people who want to convert their homes. And this is something that's been a real, a real sore spot for a lot of Californians. You have uh, an extra unit in your backyard, commonly known as like a mother-in-law dwelling, or you want to convert your garage into that. I just keep my mother-in-law in the backyard. Right, right. <laughs> well, a lot of people want to do that, quite frankly. And, gov you know, government regulations can make it really difficult. And in, in the city of L.A., they launched a pilot program to try to ease the pain and, and provide a path forward. When I called up and tried to get, get it going for some clients, they couldn't even give me an estimate of the time or the cost or tell me really how it worked besides fill out an application and we'll get back to you. It's interesting that you're talking about this. I believe San Diego, if I remember correctly, and you're, you're from out there. You're in L.A., correct? Um, yeah, if I remember, LA correctly. and Orange County. Orange County, okay, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I was kind of back and forth. Is it LA or it's OC? It's been both. Been both. Okay, that's why I was back and forth. But uh, San Diego, for example, they just launched that whole thing about um, you know the temporary rentals, and I guess what are they doing? Like capping how many you can have and a license process. I mean, that stuff to me is is crazy because we live in a capitalistic society a capitalistic country or supposedly capitalistic where it's the american dream that you can go out and make money uh you know any way you can and you know legally but the thing is is that the governments it, it's just they put so much red tape to make it hard for people to make money legally that a lot of people then just end up doing illegal things. One of the things that I've encountered throughout the course of my work is this narrative that all landlords are evil corporate slumlords. But the reality is that a lot of landlords are people who are, they, they only own one property and, or they're retired. And this is the all, their only source of income and they spend quite a bit of time and attention care into trying to fix up that one unit and making it really nice. And when when government regulations get in the way of that, like it, it is really someone's livelihood at stake, especially for for seniors. They're retired. The only other thing that they might have would be like six hundred, six hundred fifty dollars of Social Security every month. So it makes sense that they're going to rent out their property. And quite frankly, a lot of them are, are renters themselves. Sometimes they literally only own one property. They rent it out and they move into a duplex or an apartment. So what's your, your thought then on the eviction moratorium that was going on for so long? I mean, our experience and we've had a lot of guests that deal in real estate is, is like, hey, look, there is this narrative out there in the mainstream media that, you know, it's all these big, huge corporations. And yes, right now 
you have um what is it blackrock blackstone whatever it is uh they're they're buying up a lot of properties okay they are doing that right now but prior to right now with the housing crisis okay a lot uh, you know a good percentage of the people that are renting properties are mom and pop renters like you just said and they could have a bad tenant in there that is sitting for like 18 months or so without paying any rent at all. That was crazy. It was really crazy. I think it was a it was grossly unconstitutional. Here's a weird angle on it. This is this is kind of weird. For people who had their rent suspended who were active duty military. Technically, what the government did was a constitutional violation because they quartered soldiers in someone's house. <laughs> so there's all kinds of strange fallout that came from that. But but I mean, the obvious, most egregious thing is that there were people who depended on that income to pay their bills and earn a living. And they just had it completely taken away. There was no due process. They couldn't have a hearing. And they became villainized. But, you know, when, you know, my perspective is that things shouldn't have been locked down, or, or at least near not so aggressively. And then people would have been able to go out and continue to earn a living and pay their rent. Like, it all comes back to that, like these these really hasty decisions. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And you look at it, though, one statistic I'd like to know, maybe you know this, but how many houses are in foreclosure now because they're a mom and pop renter, one, two, maybe up to three properties, and they had one or multiple tenants that weren't paying their rent. Therefore, the mom and pop owners could not pay the mortgages on them. I wonder how many are being foreclosed on. That's a good question. I don't know the actual numbers now. I'm sure we're probably going to hear about it once we see the recession go into full swing. You, you sound like there's no doubt in that at all. You think the recession is coming 100%? I do. I do. I want to be optimistic and think that it's not as bad that it won't be as bad as all the doomsday predictions are saying, but I, I don't really see a way around it. Gas is $7 a gallon in California. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I saw a meme on Facebook where it was uh, 7-Eleven and then it had uh, a synergy sign, which I don't know if that was someone just put it there or if it was maybe the name of the gas company or that owned the 7-Eleven or whatever. But it was 7-Eleven, then it was a synergy sign, and you look at the gas prices, and it was like literally $7.11. That is insane, but that is a sad, sad but true meme, I think, right now. Yeah, I would juxtapose all of this with this kind of strange anti-work movement that we've seen over the last couple of years. There, There is an anti-work movement, and it's insane. And I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the work from home, for example, uh, I think it's making people more complacent. Now, I've worked from home. I've always worked from home. I've worked from home for years, but it's never stopped me from being a top producer. I think there's a lot of people now that are doing that as part of the anti-work type movement. Am I wrong with that? I don't think you are. I, I think there's sort of kind of a spectrum of it. So so people who are very entrepreneurial minded like yourself, it's when we say work from home, we're talking about hard work. 
We are very engaged and we just happen to be engaged at home. I work from home and I, and I mostly have, and you know, for me, it's almost like I work like since the office is home, I'll work from sun up to sundown. I, you know, I have no regard. Right. Exactly. It's not like there's a lot of people that are doing work from home and they're sitting in their pajamas, uh, bottoms, you know, and, uh, slippers on and, you know, stuff like that, where, you know, working from bed or working from, um, you know, their kitchen or their back patio while they're having margaritas. And that to me is not the work from home image I've ever experienced. Okay. When I had my two back surgeries within a three month period of quarter four, yes, I had to work from bed, but that was because I went through surgery. Okay. But outside of that very short period of time, okay, I have my own dedicated office. I am pretty much in this office. Uh, I'm a little bit more of a later riser anymore. I've adjusted, I think, a little bit to waking up a little bit later because the moment that I open up my eyes, I know that I'm going to be working and then I'm going to be working pretty much all the way up throughout the night, all the way, you know, eight, nine o'clock most nights. Maybe on a Friday night, it stops at seven, you know, but uh, it, it, it's all day in an office, just pounding away, getting things done, and maybe some noise on one of the speakers behind me or on uh, another computer screen to kind of have something, you know, to, to hear out and keep me occupied while I while I chug away at work. But it's totally different than what a lot of a lot of other people are doing with their work from home. Yeah, well, I think the, the biggest difference is working, quite frankly. I think, you know, like like my my home office is is my bedroom, uh, where I'm where I'm most comfortable at, but I usually put in a 10 to 12 hour day and that's that's a normal day for me. And I'm very productive when I'm more physically comfortable. But but what I really notice is that and this especially I saw was born out of the lockdown. So there were a couple of factors, right? There's the UBI movement. There's there's fight for 15. And certainly I'm sympathetic to people who want to make more money and get paid. I'm not as sympathetic to someone who wants to turn Burger King into a career. So you take take those two things and then you take people's jobs away, lock them down. Don't give them any real resources and they develop resentment and they want to get paid and they want to get you know you combine that with the fair share attitude and, and then you've got a real resistance to work and um it's it's unfortunate but i think that that's what's happened and it's going to be very strange to move into a recession when you have that attitude on the one end, and then a bunch of desperate entrepreneurs who can't even fill their businesses with employees on the other end i have two comments the first one is is that you know, we we are or we were going through the great resignation. OK, tech offers, stuff like that. They're being rescinded. Companies are scaling down. I think the great resignation for most people has probably ended. And it's actually really interesting because we had the CEO of Recruiter.com, uh, who also is a C. He is the CNBC contributor as far as the monthly uh, jobs reports. When the job reports come on, he comes on and talks about it. And he was telling us like, hey, 
we're basically a jobs uh, data aggregator and we've got predictive analytics and we can tell the labor market trends and all those types of things. He's like, I'm telling you, mid to late summer, maybe September at the latest, like the great resignation is going to end. I think he fell short of saying that we were going to be in a recession, but it does seem like the data that they were able to pull together is obviously right because, and again, he was on the show, it was probably four or five months ago, like while the job market was at its hottest moment. And he's telling us like, hey, you know, I, I think it may have happened a little bit earlier than what he predicted, but it, it's definitely happening. So one of the things that I loved about living in LA, loved was the hustle. Yeah. Any coffee shop, everybody is there. Oh, you got all these like young hipsters in their 20s and 30s and they are hustling. They are working. They are very engaged on their laptops. They don't have an office yet. They're trying to do their thing. You see people out in the streets trying to film their little independent films. Everybody's trying to sell you something. People are friendly in LA, but it's because they, they want to get something from you. Uh, I miss that. I miss that. And as weird as it is, like, you know, the little weirdos with their funny little colored hair and they're doing their own thing. It's kind of like watching who's in Whoville. They're all bustling about, you know, <laughs> with their funny little noisemakers and weird bikes. Yeah. I mean, we saw this back with the great recession, you know, a lot of people, um, I don't know. Did you, when you were on Tim Cass, were you talking about him about the the great recession at all about how it, it, I forget if it was you or if it was another guest this week I've listened to a couple of his episodes but he was talking about the great recession and how it's true a lot of people found an escape hatch whether it was disability or whatever it may be left the job market and ended up never coming back into the workforce after that and I think that if we hit another recession again because of the anti-work movement that you're talking about, that that could happen again to a greater degree with much younger people. It, it absolutely could. And I think it is going to happen with younger people. Um, I think that you're probably going to see a lot of people all of a sudden manifest anxiety disorders and um, Things like things of that nature that are invisible disabilities that enable you to stay home, ironically, disabilities that enable you. Uh, but what really what's a real bummer is that it, the people that it hurts, it doesn't just hurt those people because because I want the best for everyone. And, and ultimately, I don't think that staying at home is the most fulfilling thing you can do in your life if you don't have any purpose. Stay at home moms like they have purpose. They have meaning. They, they have they can have rich, rewarding lives. But to just stay at home aimlessly and do nothing all day, I don't think it's good for the human spirit. Definitely, you know, being in a house, doing nothing, it's not good for the human spirit, as you were just saying. But I've got to ask you, because I've been rethinking one of my positions, okay? And that is unions. I have been mostly anti-union my whole life. However, we have just gone through the biggest transfer of wealth in history of giving all these super enormous large corporations, the Starbucks, the Walmarts, the Amazons, you know, all the money that should be with mom and pop businesses through this closed down. 
And now I'm starting to see that, hey, you have places like up in New York where they voted to unionize the um, Amazon warehouse. You have, I believe, a Starbucks place. I, I believe even an Apple store has voted to unionize. And when you start looking at businesses that are that rich, that powerful, um, I don't know. It's kind of like, in a way, I kind of feel like, good, you know, give a big punch to the bad guy. But, I mean, it's a slippery slope theory there as well too what if then that catches on catches fire and it's not just these giant tech corps and then all of a sudden every business out there wants to try to unionize and you know creates problems to where the mom and pops who are already struggling are struggling even more how has your thinking on unions changed throughout the course of the pandemic especially as it relates to now. I'm always going to be opposed to government unions because I don't like taxpayer money going towards unions, collective bargaining. So you're talking public sector unions, 100%. I, I absolutely agree with that as well, too. But on the private sector, where would you land? I think that people need to start learning how to strike a balance and it's going to take some trial and error. So Amazon has not done a very good job of providing a decent work environment for their warehouse workers. Now they have done an excellent job of providing very speedy, affordable service to consumers. So, and, and I got to tell you, I really like it. I love Amazon too. I mean, as, as much as I hate to admit it, I'm probably one of their biggest customers. I mean, I was just looking so far in 2022 now we've also moved, so we needed things for moving the new house, fix the old house, stuff like that. Um, you know, so that aside, I probably have ordered over a thousand items off of Amazon so far this year. That's how how crazy it has been for us. Uh, I don't know. It's kind of like I hate to love them, but they do treat their warehouse workers like crap. They do. And so, what I would like to see happen, I, I think that unions should provide a role of being the canary in the coal mine, and to facilitate facilitate improvement and innovation in business. When you start to see unions pop up, that should be a signal to the people at the top of the corporate ladder something's wrong. We've got to start uh, changing our operations and treating people better. That is an amazing point. That that is an incredible. That is a gold nugget right there. And I have, I, I don't think I've had one person on this show yet that has said that, you know, they should be the canary in the gold mine, that if you're starting to have unions pop up in today's day and age where, you know, burger flippers can get $15 an hour and probably earn as much as the ambulance driver does, that, that that needs to be a signal that you're doing things wrong. So they should all take a lesson from grocery stores. Because most major grocery stores are unionized. That means the people bagging your groceries and cashiers have a union. Now, personally, I don't really think of that as a career job. I think of that as a job that you would get when you're in college or right out of high school and you, you gain some life experience and then you move on. Yeah. What, what if you really like the grocery industry? The like, wow, I'm really good at this. I really like this and you you look at it from the career standpoint of 
I want to get into management and be a general manager of a Walmart because that does pay 200 K a year. I don't know if a lot of people realize that Walmart store managers make about $200,000 a year. That's big money. I think that for people who enjoy that industry, I think that the, the upward mobility that those jobs provide is great. You should go into, into management and work your way up. What I wouldn't want to see is someone flipping burgers who just decides to get locked in and stay there and make a career out of that like a lot of grocery store cashiers have. Right. And that's a that's a sad. I guess if you're looking for extra income, you know, if it's a secondary job or let's just say, you know, you're typically a stay at home spouse and, you know, like, hey, you just want to work for something to bring in a couple extra bucks so that you guys can afford your family can afford that extra vacation that year that's that's fine i have no bones to pick about that but yes i don't get the lack of motivation that people seem to have in general today it's there, there there's a level of complacency that i i just cannot i can't fathom it i just don't get it i don't see the go-getters like I used to 10, 15, 20 years ago. Now, I still see some, don't get me wrong, but I'm seeing it to a way lesser degree. Like it is notable how lower the amount of go-getters are right now compared to even just a decade ago. I think that culturally and certainly politically, there has been a real a movement against entrepreneurialism and it's called, you know, it's, it's, the movement is more commonly known as people who are against capitalism. Right. And I understand capitalism is a scary word. It gets misused. You know, people have different ideas about what that means. <laughs> but for people who are in, in industry and who are working, it's really about bettering your life, providing upward mobility. It's the American dream that you can come here and make something out of yourself with nothing and provide a decent living for your family. And somehow that's been inverted and, and twisted to, to make it shameful. So I do think that that has really impacted a lot of industry and how people approach business and, and career. Yeah, it's almost like if you're in business, you know, you use that E word, entrepreneur, you know, business owner, whatever you want to call it. It's almost like you have a stench nowadays and it, it, it's like unattractive. Whereas 20 years ago, you're an entrepreneur. Wow, that's cool. You know, that, like it was a good thing. Now it's a bad thing and I, I i just don't get it i will say one thing though the american dream story one of them that has fascinated me the most as far as an immigrant no money in his pocket you know the sauce sriracha right yes we fong read their story i believe his name is david um i think it's david's his first name i forget but he is one of our customers at vision 33 with my day job and his story about how he made Sriracha become Sriracha, that is the American dream. And if you're ever out in L.A., I'm telling you, tour the factory. I, I don't know how many employees they have, but it's probably it's well under, I think, 100, maybe 50 to 80 ish in that range. It's like all robotic. It is insane uh, because they have totally modernized, used technology to the fullest. and. I mean, kudos to him on making a hit, but you know, you do that today and it's almost like people want to 
burn your house down because you became successful. Yeah, I really think that what we need is a cultural movement that supports entrepreneurship and embraces the American dream again. I, I mean, I think we need it for workers, but we really need it for businesses and, and just for our future in general. I, I think that that is going to be something that really helps to smooth over a lot of these problems, great resignation, all of that. We got to learn to embrace it again. And that's really what I try to do with this show, to open up people's eyes, to help them grow their business, to help them see things through another light. I've had people on here that would some would probably call a call very far right. And I've also had people on here that some would call very far left. But, you know, we've come on here and have had great neutral conversations that didn't even touch. I mean, Soledad O'Brien on the show for 40 minutes, not even one political question to her. It was all about business, media business, all that type of stuff. And, you know, that's how I think you really win you know, as as Tim Paul says on Tim Cast all the time, you know, by changing the hearts and mind, minds of people, you know, by talking to people. So last subject, and for all the viewers out there, apologize, don't know what's up with Zoom today. It's been in and out. We both have high quality internet, we swear. It's just been a, a, a little wonky on us today. But last topic I really want to talk to you about is, Angela, is politics as a business. You're in a national leadership role position with the Libertarian Party. Okay. Is that where you're making, you know, you're living from as far as, is that all that you live, breathe, eat, sleep is the Libertarian Party politics right now? It really is. It's so I, I am the chair, but it functions more like a CEO role. So my job is to fundraise, strategize, plot a path forward, integrate marketing with, with development, um, manage, manage people, manage a board, manage staff. There, there's a lot that goes into it. And that is definitely, you know, my sole focus right now. I, I do get paid through support on Patreon and Substack, things like that. that that's what makes it possible. But I'm Wow. I mean, yeah, that's amazing that, you know, you're able to get the support, the funding through Patreon and Substack and all those different sites out there that kind of enable you. But, you know, when I was younger, I was kind of bigger into the Libertarian Party in San Diego. And my challenge was because personal bucket item list, I've always wanted to run for office one day. And I was considering it at that point out in El Cajon uh, with the Libertarian Party. But I just found it so disorganized um, to where it wasn't really structured properly. And I kind of get from a libertarian standpoint as far as not micromanaging and being hands off. But in today's day and age, to compete against the right or the left with how structured those parties are, um, you know, the Libertarian Party does need that structure and being structured, I think, as a business. So like you're saying, like you're a CEO, I think is way better than than how the other two are kind of structuring and managing. I mean, I, I feel kind of excited of where your leadership and all the people around you that are supporting you 
of where you can actually take the party in the future, potentially, you know, eventually actually winning a national seat, which has been a big struggle. Oh, yeah. And, and thanks. Like libertarians tend to conflate authoritarianism with order and hierarchy. And, you know, it's just a natural tendency to be suspicious of the people in charge. So I have had to really handhold along the way and explain to people that this is a this is a leap of faith. You have to learn to trust me. I'm I'm not here to micromanage your life, tell you what to do in all aspects. I'm here to help us organize so that we can engage synergistically and be more productive. It's about time that we really embrace the things that we are trying to espouse to the rest of the world. So that's what I'm here for. Right, right. Have you ever heard of the the country micro it's a micronation called Liberland? Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. So uh we have had the president of Liberland on our show. That and amazing. I'm actually an e-resident of Liberland as well too. Shark Bite Biz the podcast is registered out there in Liberland. Uh we're huge supporters of Liberland because we do think there is a better way to run things. And the system right now, especially again, back with business, it favors those that have, uh, you know, that have money that have the power already. I mean, when you hear Facebook asking Congress, Hey, give us more regulations. Why is that? Why do they want more oversight and regulation from Congress? It's not to make Facebook better or Twitter better or whoever better. It's to box out competition because they can afford to do that. And that is the opposite of what we need. We need to be removing uh, red tape to allow new people into the markets to be able to grow businesses, to make people's dreams come true to create jobs, and to get us in a better economic situation. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So, hey, Angela, thank you so much. And thank you again for, you know, bearing with our Zoom struggles for today. I've got to ask one last question. How can people reach out to you? Where can they donate to support you or the libertarian causes? Give us some URLs. Twitter handles, whatever you want. You can join the Libertarian Party at lp.org. We'd love to have your membership. If you want to support me, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Angela McArdle. And you can find me on Twitter at Angela for LNC chair. Amazing. Amazing. Hey, I can't wait to see what the Libertarian Party uh, becomes. I think the future is bright and, you know, you're bringing this structure and the organization that it needs to move forward. So thank you for all your hard work. And, you know, love to have you back on here. You got it. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Thank you, Angela. Take care. Wow, that was an incredible, I guess you could say, season four finale interview. I mean, I could not have asked for something better than that except maybe be a little bit better Zoom cooperation because the interview we did was much longer and much more elaborate than what you're seeing. So I'm kind of bummed because there was some good parts that ended up getting cut out because Zoom just did not cooperate. But hey, 
whatever it is. If you do love this episode, please do us a favor. You all know the routine. Hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out, because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret out there in the world of small business, please share us out to your friends, your families, your colleagues. Get us out there on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Minds, Rumble, wherever you can. Help share this episode. Get us out there. I'd love to see nothing more than Angela McArdle, the Libertarian Party, and Shark Pipe Biz out there trending. So let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Angela. There's so much to talk about from this episode. First off, when we touched about unions, she had one of the best responses, I think, out there. And it's something that I honestly never really thought about to that death until she said it. I was kind of like taking it back, like, wow, that's a that's a gold mine right there. That is a nugget. Big tech companies, you need to be on alert right now. Large enterprises like Amazon, you know, from Walmart to Starbucks, Microsoft, even Apple. You know, when your workers start to organize, okay, you have major issues. You are not running your business properly, and that needs to be a fire alarm inside your operational center that you're doing something wrong. You know, so in those regards, I do think that in today's modern workplace, would I have said this maybe 10 years ago? I don't know. I mean... Views, people change, like I said, with the question with Angela, you know, but there is a place for unions, I think, in the private sector because Amazon, Starbucks, Apple even, they're obviously failing at making at least decent working conditions for their employees. And the employee's only choice is to quit and find another job where we have a recession impending. How long will that last for? Or try to fix things by unionizing. And that's where, I mean, Amazon, instead of trying to fight back against these union efforts, fix working conditions for your employees. I mean, this is business strategy 101. One other point I really wanted to bring out is what Angela said in our final minutes of our interview, we were discussing the Libertarian Party as a whole. And, you know, many, especially old school libertarians, really don't like having the structure or organization. And, you know, they feel kind of micromanaged. And that's where I think Angela, uh, Dave Smith, the Mises Caucus is really starting to help the party by organizing it, but not by necessarily micromanaging the party. You know, they're, the structure that they're doing, and I like how Angela phrased this, is that they're kind of not doing what the two dominant parties in our you know, society in the United States are doing right now. They're really running it more like a business, and she views herself, hey, I am the CEO of the Libertarian Party. And that is pretty awesome, I think, because personally, I think government, while it's there to offer organizational structure to society, but it should be run almost like a business. I mean, hence, the president is in the executive branch. 
you know, there should be a budget every single year. We just can't keep doing deficit spending. Ask any corporation out there in America what happens if every single year you're in the red losing money. Eventually, people aren't going to give you any more money. There's a lot of things in this country that needs to be fixed. And our country right now is so split that you either have to fit entirely inside the red check box or entirely inside the blue check box. And I think that is wrong because that is really what is tearing our country apart. Having a third choice that actually mixes and matches some principles of both parties while also having their own principles, their own ideas, their own viewpoints is probably the best path forward as a nation right now. I am personally worried about the state of our country, the economy, what looks to be an impending recession. You know, a lot of things make me nervous in the world of business. And this is one of the areas right now, what we're talking about, where politics does cross over into business because all of this regulation, all of these lockdowns, we're feeling the effects of it by the recession that it will be causing. Hopefully, we don't have a recession. Hopefully, it's short-lived. But who knows? Nobody really knows until we get there. So I'm leaving you with that as for some food for thought as we go into our 4th of July Independence holiday. Shark Bite Briz goes into its hiatus, you know, a little summer break here for a few weeks and we'll be back with season five in mid-july but anyways awesome stuff angela you're kicking major butt and if you can bring all these things together all these people together that identify as libertarian but maybe are in the red or blue party get them organized give them structure i think in the next five years this country could be looking very different all to the groundwork that you are doing. Question of the day. Will having a third major party help the U.S. or hurt the U.S.? Leave a comment down below on YouTube. Do you want to be on the show? Interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Also, please do not forget, you can join the channel if you're watching on YouTube. It's $3 a month. You can become a baby shark and uh, support us directly. But like I said in the intro, if you don't like doing it through big tech, don't worry, head on over to deadhousecoffee.com where you get the freshest coffee known on earth that is roasted, sealed, and shipped within a 24-hour period to your doorstep. Use code SHARK, you'll get 20% off. We'll get the remaining proceeds to keep doing all the magic that we do here at Shark Pipe Biz. Kind of one of those happy and sad moments for me because... You know, I'm signing off for the last time for season four. So it's a joyous moment, but there's no episode next week. So it's kind of a bummer as well, too. But you all know this by now. I'm David Strausser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you all next season. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. 
We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 